I'm excited to share with you what I, what I have for, for us today, what the Lord has kind of laid on my heart. We're going to be in a, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses to get together today. And um, I don't know if um, some of y'all know me a little bit better than others, but I, I used to teach school. I taught science for a number of years. And um, there are some things that people will ask me questions about at times. Students through the years have asked me these you know, kind of random questions, what if type questions. And, and of course, whenever that happens, I have always wanted to just go really in depth to explain a lot of things to them. And, and my kids will kind of roll their eyes and attest to this, that sometimes they ask a pretty simple question and, and I'll go way more in depth with them than they ever wanted me to go. And, and so like, for example, a, a kid might ask me a question like, if, if you went out into space where there was no gravity and then you were to cough, would, would that cough push you backwards? And I would be like, okay, well, first of all, there is nowhere in the universe where there is no gravity. All right? That's not a thing. That's not a place that you can go to. Everywhere we go, there's gravity. And some of you are looking at me like I'm telling you it's something new. So it's just this, for me, when you say the word gravity, I think of the, the definition of gravity as it is an invisible force of attraction between every two objects in the universe. So like there's gravity between me and this iPad. Right? That there is a force of attraction between the two of us. Now, it's tiny, tiny, tiny compared to the force of gravity between us and the floor and, and the, the earth beneath us. And so, first thing I'll do is I'll take a student and I'll be like, okay, first of all, where can you go where there's no gravity? It doesn't exist. There's not a place out there where there is no gravity. Because if, if you go anywhere, the moon is in orbit around the earth, right? But there's gravity that's holding it here, and that's why it's there. We're in orbit around the sun. The reason we orbit the sun is because there's gravity between us and the sun. That's 93 and a half million miles away, yet we're still attracted to it, right? And then their eyes start to glaze over, right? Yeah, see? And, and that's exactly what happens. For me, there's so much depth to it, right? And what they really wanted to hear was, yeah, that would happen. If you cough out in you know, this gravity-neutral environment and you coughed, then yeah, you would be pushed backwards while the cough emanates forwards from you. Now, the cough would go faster than you. And you, Again, <laughs> the eyes begin to glaze over because I, I love that, that subject matter so much. It's so fascinating to me. It's so interesting to me. It's, it is so deep whenever you really dive into it. And there are a lot of words that I grew up in the church, and, and if you're like me, you maybe have been in church for a long time or something like that. There are certain words that we use all the time that if we don't really dive into what they really mean, we can miss out on a lot of meaning and understanding that's there within the scriptures. And today there's a word that I definitely want us to dive into. And so if you're with me in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of our flesh excuse me of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, some of you might be trying to guess exactly which word I'm going to focus in on, but I'll just go ahead and put it out there. The word I'm, I'm looking at is the word grace. Again and again, he mentions this word grace. By grace, we have been saved. And God wanted to demonstrate his grace toward us. And I heard that word all growing up and things like that. And it wasn't until I was, I was an adult that I was sitting in underneath the teaching of a pastor and, and he began to really dive into that word grace. I think we did six weeks just on what grace was all about. And it, he changed my definition of grace. And now whenever I see that word grace, it doesn't mean to me what it used to mean. It, it means so much more than what it used to mean. All right? Now I grew up in the, you know, through the 80s and 90s and I, I was definitely in a Christian household so that all of the music that I listened to was, was Christian music. And there was a song that kind of went, oh, I had it earlier and maybe it's gone now, but it's something like when we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. And if you went to their concert, the crowd would shout grace and mercy at those two things. When we don't get what we deserve, that's God showing mercy, right? Because we deserve punishment. We deserve to be cast out. We deserve to be separated from him. But God in his mercy allows us to be joined together with him. That's mercy. And when we get what we don't deserve, when God gives us things that we don't really deserve, we call that grace. And, and I, that's not a wrong definition. I'm not here to change your definition. What I want to do is dive deeper into it, right? A lot of times people use these words to define grace. They say it's called unmerited favor. God's grace is unmerited favor. And that's true. The, and, and it fits in these verses in this context here. Of course, God, un, un, without any merit of our own, God gives to us, he pours out to us his favor. In fact, it's so strong here that he says it's not just that, that God takes us from being unsaved to being saved. The, the difference in our life is so extreme that he calls it this. He says, when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. The contrast is so severe. That's what grace does for us. It takes us from being dead to being alive. Now that is a huge change. That's not just unmerited favor. When I think of unmerited favor, I think of like a teacher's pet, you know, which often was me whenever I was a kid growing up and people didn't like that very much. But, you know, it, it can be in any kind of situation where it's like, you know, the teacher's passing out pencils or, or giving out hand stamps or stickers and like some kid just automatically will get two hand stamps. And you're like, teacher's pet, right? <laughs> unmerited favor. What's so special about them? Right? And we can be jealous of other people getting grace. But here God is saying, I took you from death to life. That's not just two hand stamps. Right? That, that's not an extra cracker at snack time. That, that's something huge. 
Unmerited favor kind of diminishes what he's talking about when he talks about grace here. Grace is so much more than that. While it is unmerited favor, it is more and much richer whenever we, we have a new understanding of what it's all about. So this is the definition. This, this pastor's name was Ray Duck, and um, he used this definition, and it just he, he said it so many times over that study that it is just ingrained in my mind now. But it says, Grace is God's empowering presence to be who he called you to be and to do what he called you to do. I'm going to say that again. Grace is God's empowering presence to be who he called you to be and to do what he called you to do. Because you can't take yourself in your dead sin nature. You can't take your dead self, caught up in your trespasses, and make yourself alive. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible for you to do it. It takes God putting himself inside of you putting his spirit in your heart, making that merge together as one, and God takes you from death to life. Just like he took Jesus, who was dead in the grave, and rose into life again, God makes us alive with him. And it is that transformation that is the power of God within you so that you have any chance of being what he called you to be. You can't be what God wants you to be unless... He himself empowers you to do so. And so when he says, for by grace, excuse me, for by grace you have been saved, it is by his empowering presence in your life. It is not just his unmerited favor. It's not just because, oh yeah, I'll just give you, you know, throw you a little extra here. No, it is God giving himself to you, empowering you to be who he called you to be and to do what he calls you to do. It's not just here. Let, let me show you some other verses, and, and so you can kind of see where this kind of starts to come alive. Whenever you kind of transition, it, it's the, the red car illustration. Have you heard of this? You know, if you buy a red car, all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere, right? I, I, I remember that situation sometimes where, um, <clears throat> you know, something happens in your life, you watch a certain movie, and all of a sudden everybody's referencing that movie. And it, it's kind of like, well, maybe it was always there, and I just never picked up on it. And whenever you understand what grace is, that grace is God giving himself to you. God, it's God planting himself in your life to give you power to be what he wants you to be and to do what he wants you to do. All of a sudden, these other scripture verses that talk about grace come alive in a new way where you see things that you didn't see before. And I remember experiencing that myself. And so let me share with you some of these verses. Look at Romans 5 verse 20. He says this, the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, if you translate that with the, the other definition, unmerited favor abounded all the more. Paul is talking about this, that whenever we sin, of course, sin separates us from God, but God's love is strong enough to overcome that. And so God's unmerited favor increases all the more. Well, Sure. But it's more than that. Think of it this way. It's where sin increased, God gives you even more of his empowering presence so that you can be what he called you to be and do what he calls you to do. 
Whenever we fall away, God just gives us more and more of himself, makes more of himself available to us so that we can overcome whatever it is that's in our life. God's grace is more powerful than that. It's not just his unmerited favor, it's more. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave. Paul is telling his, his friends at the church at Corinth, he's saying, listen, I was revealed, or God revealed to me some really deep knowledge. God gave me wisdom that I really didn't deserve, and to keep me from getting too prideful, it was given to me a thorn in the flesh, he calls it. Paul is describing to them that there is something that nags at him. He calls it a thorn in his flesh. It's not a splinter. He's just using that as an expression. It's something that nags at him again and again and again. It's a thorn in his flesh. And he says, I asked the Lord three times. And he says, I wanted it to leave. And then God answered. It says, he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see the connection there between grace and power? What he's saying is this. God is telling him, listen, I know that you have that thorn in your flesh. I know that you have that... We don't know exactly what it was. It was something that we... A lot of people believe it was like a temptation that he always fell into. Like an old habit that just wouldn't go away. Or, or, or some other kind of affliction that he could not shake and could not get rid of or could not be healed from. And he was saying, God's saying to him this, Listen, my unmerited favor is enough. Well, yes, but there's so much more. What God is telling him is this, My empowering presence in your life, Paul, I know that you're struggling with that. I know that it's weighing on you. I know that it nags at you over and over again. But my empowering presence to be who I called you to be and to do what I called you to do, that is sufficient. When Paul is talking about grace, he's not just talking about getting bonus points with God. He's talking about God himself planting himself within us. That's what grace is all about. And God's grace is sufficient to overcome anything in our life. We may still struggle. We may still have hardship. In fact, Jesus promises that in this world we will have tribulation. We will have trouble that we go through. But God's grace will go with us through it. He doesn't promise to remove us from trouble. He promises, he promises to give us the grace to make it through. His power within us. You see, it's more than that. In Romans 3.23, you've heard this before, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very next verse says this, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, it is a gift of unmerited favor, absolutely. But when you read that with the extra context of it, it is a gift of God's empowering presence to be who He called us to be and to do what He called us to do, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, there's more to it than that. There is a deeper meaning. There is a better understanding of what grace is all about. When God pours out His grace on us, what He's doing is He's giving us Himself, living within us to give us strength to make it through whatever we're facing. 
Yes, we have sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God gives us His grace Himself within us to stand against sin, to overcome sin in our life. That's what God is doing. We see it also in Hebrews 4. It says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this one, if it's just unmerited favor, how does unmerited favor help in time of need? You see how it's a little bit of a weak understanding of that word in this particular case, but when you understand it's God's empowering presence, then yeah, that's what helps in time of need. It's not just knowing that God's kind of cheering for you from the sideline, but no, He's with you in your own heart to help you find power to make it through whatever it is you're up against. And then he says this in 1 Peter, as each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, if we're going to employ the gifts that were given to us, if we're going to use those things to be effective for the kingdom of God, we need his empowering presence to do that. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own strength. We can't do it without His power within us. And we need to rest in the knowledge that He has granted that to us. By His Holy Spirit coming and living within us, we have the power to be who He called us to be and to do what He calls us to do. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own power. It's not by our own clever devices. It's not by our own discipline of ourselves. It is not by anything we can accomplish on our own. It is God, His power within us, that gives us the ability to do anything beneficial for the kingdom. It's His power. And that's what grace is all about. And we have the tendency to lose sight of that. We have the tendency to hear the gospel of God's grace, that God gives us the power to be free from sin, to overcome the consequences of sin, to, to live forever in heaven with Him one day, but we forget that that still affects our life here. That there is a life to live before that day comes. And that grace is what will sustain us, not just for that day, but for every day in between. We need God's power in our lives, God's empowering presence day by day. Sometimes we lose sight of that. We think it's by our own power, by our own efforts, by our own strength, that we'll overcome this world. Paul addresses this to the church at Galatia and says this in, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, you foolish Galatians. Now that's not a great way to start, right? Right? Now you foolish scrogganese, right? <laughs> It wouldn't be a, a, a great way to start a sentence as a preacher, I don't think. But here Paul is talking to beloved believers, friends of his, and he says, you foolish Galatians. He's telling them they've missed the point. He says, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. You saw what happened. You know the truth of who Jesus was. Who has changed your mind? Who has led you astray? Who has convinced you of some other gospel? And then he says this. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law 
or by hearing with faith. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What he's saying is this, you know that it's the Spirit that changes you. You know that it's the Spirit of God that takes you from being dead to being alive, that without the Spirit of God, you have no hope of turning things around for yourself. You will spiral downward and downward and downward into your own self-delusion that you will always think that you're right and always be wrong and you will never find victory in this life as long as you're trying to do it under your own strength. He says, you know the truth. You knew that Jesus died on the cross. You know that it's his spirit that gives you the power over the consequences of sin. Why are you living now as if your works of the flesh are what's going to redeem you or sanctify you or or cause you to be saved. There's another word that we use in churches called sanctification. It's it's kind of one of those big $3 words or whatever, and it's a a word that just means there's a process. Once we are saved, we we are in the process of being sanctified from that point forward. Right? God saves you once for all. You are saved and you are sealed in the Spirit as we learned in Ephesians chapter 1. We are, we are bought with a price and we belong to Him and whatever is in His hand cannot be taken out. But we're not perfect yet. We're not made perfect in the image of Christ at the moment of salvation. That's a process that gets worked out and that process of being made in the image of Christ is a process called sanctification. And what's happened in these these Galatians and this, this church here is they believed in Christ and His redeeming work on the cross. They knew that it was the Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead that would save their own souls. And yet they've gone back to practicing the law as a means of sanctification. They believe that as they discipline their bodies, as they work at following rule after rule after rule, as they... they you know, put in certain regiments for themselves, they think that by those actions, they're going to be sanctified. And Paul's argument to them is, listen, if it's the spirit that you needed to give you power over the consequences of sin, it's the spirit that you need to daily conquer sin in your life. Don't try to do this under your own strength. Don't try to discipline yourself. Don't don't depend on your own power to do this. It's not going to work. You're going to frustrate yourself again and again and again. Instead, you need to rest in the knowledge that God has placed His presence within you. And as you grow closer to the Lord, you're going to grow closer to His desires. Your wants, your wishes, your your hopes and dreams, they're going to start to align themselves with the Father. You're going to begin to want the same things that he wants, but you've got to be devoted to that relationship first. Let the Holy Spirit love you and love him in return. Listen to the words of God as he speaks blessings over you and then just receive those blessings and let God change you from within. It is His power and His love that overcomes it all. It is His grace that saves us. It is His grace that sustains us. It is His power and His presence in our life that allows us to be who He called us to be and to do what He calls us to do. And if we try to live outside of grace, if we go back to the ways of the law, 
we will frustrate ourselves again and again and again. It is God's grace that saves us, and it is His grace that sustains us day by day. And if we try to live this Christian life outside of grace, we are foolish like these Galatians. We're not going to perfect ourselves by works of our own flesh. We're not going to perfect ourselves by self-discipline or better motivation. We're going to be perfected by the work of the Spirit within us, perfected by grace. Let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at 8, 9, and 10. One more time here. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And it is God's empowering presence in your life that gives you any hope of salvation. Now, it is His grace that saves you, He says, through faith. The word faith, we're going to come to that again later, but through faith, faith is taking God at His word. It's a good, simple definition. And it's faith is saying, God, you said it, so I just believe it. That, you know, it, I'm just trusting you. It goes against maybe what I think. It, it may not mesh with what the society is telling me. It may not fit what I grew up with. But God, your word says this is true. I'm just going to take it as it's written. I'm going to take your word as your word. And I'm just going to believe it. It says, for by grace you have been saved through the mechanism of faith. It's God's power, though. And then he says, and that, meaning that faith that you are exercising, that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And just so it's clear, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. You cannot save yourself. It can't happen. If you believe your life is on a scale, like many of our world religions teach today that life is basically on a big balance. And there are good things that you do and there are bad things that you do. And as long as you tip the scale towards the good side, then one day you'll get whatever reward is coming to you. Whether that's becoming a God yourself or, or leaving a positive legacy or, or achieving some state of nirvana, they, they believe that their life is on some scale and they've got to do enough good things to outweigh the bad things. And as long as they do enough good things, they'll be all right. And so that we live lives as, of comparison, where we're constantly looking at other people and like, well, I'm not as conceited as that person, and I'm not as gossip like they are, and I'm, I'm, I'm at least kind to my neighbors, and at least I'm, you know, whatever the case may be, at least I give to charity, and at least I go to church regularly, and at least I fill in the blank. We live these lives of comparison because we think that our life is on a scale, but it's not on a scale. It's not a result of works. You are not earning your salvation. You can't. It's when we get to the point that we realize that we will never do enough to outweigh the bad. When we recognize that we cannot save ourselves, that we give up and throw ourselves fully in the mercy of God. That's when we find grace. 
when we say, I cannot save myself, that's when God says, I know. That's why I did it for you. I know you would never make it. I understand your frame better than you. I knew you in your mother's womb. I knit you together. I know what you're up against. I know that you were born into sin. That's why I sent my son to die in your place. And I have sent my spirit to take you from being dead in your transgressions and making you alive with him. Did you catch where it said this? i got to find it again. But he says <clears throat> that we were raised together with Christ. And not only are we raised up with him, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Listen, what that means is the work has been done. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because the work is done. And what he's saying is, you are seated with him. Rest in that knowledge. His grace is sufficient for your salvation. Just sit with him. And the more you understand your relationship with him, the more you understand his love towards you, the more you spend time learning about who he is and what motivates him and what God is all about, the more you will want to do the things that are pleasing in his eye. And sanctification will come not out of self-discipline, but out of love from our Savior. It will change over time. There are things that we will learn to love when we spend time in relationship with someone who loves those things. My kids love Star Wars. Not because they grew up in the 70s when those movies first came out. I didn't even grow up then. But they love Star Wars because I did. My, my kids will like the things that I like because they love me. And they want to be a part of what dad's doing. And we, as his kids, will join in the work that he's doing because we love him more. He says this, we are his workmanship. That word workmanship there, it can be translated as masterpiece. Like, we are the, the signature thing. Like, if you know any artisan, there, there may be one particular thing that they are known for. That's what he's saying. We are the signature creation of God. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not that we have to come up with them, but that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You don't even have to figure out what... I, I remember talking to kids who were going through the Boy Scout program, and they get to this point where it's like, oh, I, I want to be an Eagle Scout because that gives me a lot of, you know, clout in various locations, right? I mean, you told me once before, you hired Eagle Scouts because you had such a great experience with one, right? There's something about that. 
And to become an Eagle Scout, you've got to finish some project. There's got to be this major project that you do, some kind of community service thing. And they got to come up with this thing. And I remember talking to students. They're like, oh, I don't, I, you know, you were a scout. Oh, yeah, you're going to do the Eagle Scout thing? Yeah, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do for a service project. In other words, there was a, a, a rite of passage, and they had to do some kind of major service project, and they had to come up with it themselves, and there was a huge pressure, and they were sometimes right up against the edge of whatever it is, their 18th birthday, before they finished that project. And a lot of people approach their Christian walk that way. Oh, God's done so much for me. I've got to do something for Him. I, I, I just don't know what I'm capable of. I don't know what I can do. These things are so big. Don't worry about it. God has placed you in a position, has given you talents and treasures and, and abilities, and he is going to lead you step by step because he created you, he shaped you, he made you who he wanted you to be, and he has designed some works for you to accomplish. Not by your power, not by your own device, not, not because you're so creative and clever, but he will use your creativity that he gave you. He will use your passions that he gave you. He will, give, he will use the talents that he gave you in order to accomplish his will. But it's not something you have to do of your own strength or your own power. We do it by the grace that's given to us. It's his empowering presence to be who he called us to be and to do what he calls us to do. It's by grace that we're saved, and it's by grace that we walk. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your grace. And I pray that we wouldn't just skip over that word as we come across it. Father, we wouldn't just take it for granted. Lord, we would stop and consider every time we see it, every time we read it, every time we hear it, may we stop and consider what it is we're saying. Others, we see again and again in your scripture that the Apostle Paul, as he wrote instructions to churches, as he wrote encouragement to them, and he prayed for grace in their life, Father, we see that his understanding and his meaning of grace was so much more than just unmerited favor. Father, if it was just unmerited favor, of course we would be grateful for it because it's something we don't deserve. But Father, you are not just giving us favor, but you are giving us yourself. Your presence in our life. Father, we confess that that's what we need today. Father, we acknowledge, we agree with your word today that says that it is by grace we are, we are saved through faith. And that even that faith is not of ourselves, it is a gift from you. It is your grace, your empowering presence that gives us the ability to have faith in your word. We thank you for that grace. We ask for more of that grace, Father. We know that you're calling us to do things. We know that you're calling us to step out and trust you more. We know that you're calling us to be sanctified, to be shaped into the image of your Son. 
And so we ask for more of your grace to be poured out on us. And Father, I pray that above all else, you would be glorified. Father, I thank you that the work has been done for our salvation. That we have been crucified with Christ and yet we live. That you have raised us from death to life by your Spirit within us. And you have seated us with Christ in heavenly places. The work has been completed. May we rest in that truth. May we embrace the love that you have for us. And Father, I pray that that love would grow, that we would, we would be shaped into your image, that as we grow closer to you, our desires would look more like your desires. Our ambitions would look more like your ambitions. Our hopes would be solidly planted in you and your kingdom. And then, Father, I pray that we would faithfully walk in the works that you've prepared for us, not by our own strength, but by your grace, by your empowering presence in our lives. Father, I pray that today we would be yielded to you. We would recognize where we've been trying to do it on our own, and we would instead yield to your strength. We would confess our need for a Savior, not just for one day, but for every single day. We need your grace to save us from the power of sin, to embolden us to be your witnesses, to give us strength and wisdom to carry out your will. Father, may your grace be poured out on us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, you respond to the Lord as he leads you. If you'd like to pray with me, I'd be glad to pray with you. I'll be here at the front. If you don't want to do that now, we stick around. We have a meal together, and so you can pull me aside at any time. Let me just encourage you one more time that God has poured out his love for you and his grace is sufficient for all of your needs. Yield to that today. Ask for it in your life. If you're struggling with something and you're frustrated and you think you've, you're about to throw in the towel, you're not alone. And God is willing to pour out his grace. He's not necessarily going to get rid of whatever the trouble is or whatever it is you're up against, but he will give you the strength to make it through. Yield to him this morning. And just rest in the knowledge that his grace is sufficient. You respond to the Lord.